Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, January 17th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Well, just like that, the war drums went silent, right? You know, it's pretty amazing how fast the news cycle moves and how quickly people flip and flop from one thing to another. I mean, just last week, it felt like we were on the brink of war. Now that's a distant memory. This week, all eyes were on the trade deal. Now, gold has managed to hold above the key 1550 resistance level for the most part, despite a lot of headwinds, including the signing of the Phase 1 trade deal and the evaporation of geopolitical tensions in the Middle East. And there was also some economic data that markets gauged as a positive. U.S. retail sales rose for the third straight month in December, and holiday sales rose a little over 4% year-on-year. In other words, American consumers are still propping up the U.S. economy with money they don't have. It'll be interesting to see the consumer credit numbers for December. There's generally about a two-month lag on that data, so we'll get the December report in February. But if I were a betting man, I'd put money on another record number for consumer debt. Interestingly, though, the rise in consumer indebtedness actually seems to be slowing down a bit. I've only glanced at the November numbers Uh, It was another record overall, but credit card debt actually contracted a little bit, and the overall trend is that borrowing is slowing down. Now, this may well signal that we're approaching max debt load. I mean, you can't print money in your basement like the Fed, right? So once the debt levels get too high, once those credit cards get maxed out, game over. And when it's game over for the American consumer, it's game over for the U.S. economy because people spending and borrowing money is what's driving what little economic growth we actually have. So anyway, gold is traded within a pretty narrow $25 range this week. That range compression started right after the yellow metal spiked to this year's high of 1613. That was after Iran launched missiles at U.S. bases in Iraq. The gold quickly sold off once things simmered down and things cooled off. And here we are. But even though the daily range is compressed, there seems to be a reluctance for gold to trade and close below 1550 per ounce, which has now become the short-term support. The elemental fell below that level briefly this week, but rebounded quickly. I think this is pretty significant, again, given the headwinds, the trade deal stocks at record levels, and what most people view as positive economic news. And speaking of stocks, the markets have really rallied as tensions with Iran ratcheted down and the Phase 1 trade deal was finalized. The Dow Jones closed above 29,000 for the first time on Wednesday, and every other index except for the Russell 2000 hit record highs. So gold is holding its own. Why? The Fed. As one mainstream article I read put it, recent policies by the federal government and the Federal Reserve have been instrumental in maintaining the solid investor interest in the safe haven allure of gold. In other words, fiscal and monetary stimulus is keeping air in the stock market bubble, and some investors actually realize this. You know, the U.S. federal government ran a budget deficit of over $1 trillion in the 2019 calendar year. It was the first budget deficit over $1 trillion in any calendar year since 2012, you know, in the midst of the Great Recession. These are the kind of budget deficits you would expect to see during a major economic downturn. The federal government has only run deficits over $1 trillion in four fiscal years, all during the Great Recession. We're approaching that number today, despite having what Trump 
Trump calls the greatest economy in the history of America. Now, generally during economic expansions, government spending on social programs shrink and tax revenues climb with the increased economic activity. Now, revenues have increased over the last year, even with the Republican tax cuts, but they haven't kept pace with the increase in government spending. Basically, the federal government is spending like a drunken sailor. No offense to any drunken sailors in the audience. I mean, does anybody really think this is sustainable? I mean, I know there are a growing, you know, this, this growing deficits don't matter crowd, but I think most of those people are just grasping at straws because they want the government to fund more big social programs and they have to convince us that it's going to be fine to borrow that money. But it won't. And most people with a shred of common sense recognize this. Think about it. If the U.S. government is running $1 trillion deficits now, what will the country's financial situation look like when the next recession hits? Congress and the president can continue to kick the can down the road, but they're about to run out of pavement. And of course, I talk pretty much every week about the level of monetary stimulus we're getting from the Fed. Interest rates are extremely low, and they're going to stay there. And the Fed is doing quantitative easing. Of course, they deny it, but that's exactly what they're doing. So we can look at the news of the day, particularly the trade deal, and assume that that's what's driving these record equity levels. But gold tells us a different story. The central bank policy and government deficit spending is driving this wagon. It's a Keynesian wet dream. And really, that's a pretty accurate, if crude, analogy, because pretty soon we're going to wake up to a mess and the reality that it was all just a big fantasy. So I guess I should touch on the trade deal. Peter gave a pretty good breakdown in his Wednesday night podcast, and I pretty much agree with his analysis. Trump and Chinese Vice Premier Liu signed the phase one deal on Wednesday. The mainstream was pretty bullish on the news, but there was some underlying concern seeping in because the deal did not bring substantive tariff relief. The Chinese pledged to buy an additional $200 billion worth of American goods over the next two years, primarily agricultural products and energy, oil, and natural gas. There are some manufactured products in the mix as well, but it's mostly agricultural. The president used the typical Trumpian hyperbole to describe the deal, calling it a big, beautiful monster. I mean, the messaging coming from the administration was that this is the greatest deal ever. Nobody's ever seen a deal like this. Peter said that might be true. There's never been a deal as insignificant and inconsequential. The problem is when you strip away the rhetoric and look at the substance, it's not really that big of a deal. And I question whether you can really call it a deal at all. I mean, it's an intermediate step toward a deal that may never come. It's like when you were a kid and you ran into the house expecting dinner to be ready and your mom hands you a carrot and tells you dinner's not going to be ready for another hour and you realize she hasn't even started cooking yet. Anyway, the U.S. will roll back some, but not all of the tariffs it imposed over the course of the 18-month trade war. The deal canceled planned tariffs on cell phones, toys, and laptops, and it also cut levies on about $120 billion in Chinese goods down to 7.5%. But the 25% tariffs on $250 billion in Chinese industrial goods and components will stay put, along with China's retaliatory tariffs on over $100 billion in American goods. Trump said those tariffs will be removed in a phase two deal. But will we ever get a phase two deal? I don't know. Peter says he doesn't think so. I think they might pull something together, but I don't think it's going to be substantive. And honestly, I think it will really hinge on whether Trump wins re-election. I mean, if I were the Chinese, I would just drag my feet and wait until the election to do anything. If there's a new president, well, that could change the dynamics entirely. And if Trump is re-elected, well, then you cross that bridge when you come to it.
The bottom line is I think we're in for another year of tariffs dragging on the economy. Please, never ever forget, I've said this before, a tariff is a tax. If you don't like taxes, you shouldn't like tariffs. You know, there's also the possibility that the phase one deal won't even hold together. Did you know that there's a provision in there that stipulates if one party complains about the other not living up to the deal, that party can just withdraw if it decides the complaint was not in, quote, good faith. In other words, Trump could complain that the Chinese aren't doing this or that, and the Chinese could just walk away and say, F your deal. Then we're back to square one. With Trump's propensity to shoot off belligerent tweets, I would say there's at least a slight chance that this could happen. So when you boil it all down, I think the deal was kind of no deal, or maybe it would be fairer to say no deal yet. Anyway, stay tuned for more months of trade war news pushing markets up and down. I may just go back to ignoring it. Uh, Real quick, I want to highlight the World Gold Council report that came out this week. It's their Outlook 2020 report. I'll link to a write-up I did on it in the show notes page, but the short version is that there's plenty of reasons to be bullish on gold in the coming year. One of the main reasons they highlight is exactly what I just talked about earlier in the show. Central bank policy is extremely positive for gold. And it's not just in the U.S., but worldwide. In fact, the highest number of banks since the financial crisis are cutting rates and expanding or initiating quantitative easing. And get this, 90% of developed market sovereign debt is trading at negative real interest rates. So here's the summary from the World Gold Council. Quote, looking ahead, we believe investors, including central banks, will face an increasing set of geopolitical concerns, while many pre-existing ones will likely be pushed back rather than being resolved. In addition, the very low level of interest rates worldwide will likely keep stock prices high and valuations at extreme levels. And although investors may not step away from risk assets, anecdotal evidence suggests they are increasing exposures to safe haven assets like gold as a means to hedge their portfolios. So as we roll into 2020, now is the perfect time to take a look at your portfolio and make sure you're properly positioned for what's ahead. A Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist can help you with this and give you more information on the economic dynamics the mainstream people just aren't talking about. Call today. Talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist at 1-888-GOLD-160. Well, that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at iTunes or on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. And we're going to have some more opportunities to listen to the show as the weeks go by. You'll find links to all this stuff on the show notes page. Uh, as always, I really do appreciate you listening to the show. I hope you have a great weekend and I'll talk to you next time.